0: Have you ever noticed how confusing it can be to try to get signs from God and live by signs from God? I've been working on a book, um, and it's a collection of stories, and the stories are all stories based on uh, my grandfather's farm. And, and, And I remember... Standing on the hillside with my grandpa, my grandpa loved to tell these jokes. Some of them were really lame, and now you know where I get it. But anyway, so he would just tell this joke. He would tell this particular joke over and over again. And this joke that I'm going to tell you now, it's a uh, part of kind of southern folklore. There are different versions of it, but the version that my grandpa told me was this one. He said there was this old boy one time that he was out, and he was a farmer, and he was in his field, and he was working. And he looked up in the sky, and he just felt really close to God because he saw this sign in the sky. And it looked for all the world, like in some versions of the story, the clouds or the stars spell out three letters, G, P, C. And he immediately realized that he was being called to go preach Christ and so he went to the elders of the church and he said "Um, God called me to be a preacher and they said well then preach and he came and he preached and then they got together afterward and they said I'm not really sure he's called to preach I mean the preaching was really bad and he really doesn't seem to have a gift at all that way and one of the old deacons says I think maybe the letters meant go pick corn (laughs) my grandpa loved to tell that story the southern version of that is not corn but it's cotton And so you can kind of make it work forever you want. you got to be really careful when you're looking for signs because it's easy to get confused when you're looking for signs. And it's easy for people to use signs to kind of get their own way and to do their own thing to show kind of a willfulness or to kind of be... The sign-seeking can be kind of a mask for I really don't want to go about things the way I should go about things, and I really don't want to obey God what He said plainly in His Word, but I want to kind of cook up something supernatural like my friend Dave Enders. Dave is a godly guy, loves the Lord, walks with God. He's a leader in his church. He's in the Word every morning. And he told me this funny story a number of years ago. He said he had a car sitting out in front of his house for sale. Had a for sale sign on the car, and a guy comes walking up and knocks on the door and says to him, hey, you know, this car out here, he says, God told me that you were supposed to give me that car. What's kind of cool is Dave was so sharp and quick-witted. He said, you know, that's funny. That car belongs to me, and I was talking with God earlier this morning, and He didn't tell me a thing about it. i tell you what I'll do. If He tells me to give it to you, that's what I'll do. You've got to be careful when you use signs to manipulate people, and you're going to see in our text today, that is exactly what happens. Now, the text is chapter 12 of Matthew, and verses 38 through 42, and is that text, that little section where a little cluster of Pharisees come to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, hey, we want you to give us a sign. Now, I've always been confused by this, because I haven't always read it in its context, and Jesus doesn't respond positively to this. It's like they asked for a sign, and he says, that's because you're bad. And I always think, well, that doesn't seem right to me. I mean, it's Jesus, so it's right. But I always kind of wondered, it doesn't seem so bad to say, hey, Jesus, do what you do. I mean, show me who you are. But if you read the context, you see the Pharisees are not sincere at all. As a matter of fact, if you read the other parallel accounts, it says they did it to test him to trap Him, their motives were not pure. They were not eager to believe. They were not eager to obey. They were not eager to see a sign. And they weren't eager for other people to see a sign. They were eager to expose Jesus as if He was not what He said He was. And this passage comes immediately after a passage where Jesus condemns them and calls them bad stuff. He says, you're a nest of vipers and you're like trees that don't bear fruit. And you're going to face the judgment of God. That's what He tells them. So then immediately after that, in response actually to that, it says, this, some, verse 38, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered. What we're going to see today is their response to Jesus condemning them. And it's going to be really, it's going to be really important that you, here's how we're going to handle the, the, the uh, preaching today. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to work out with you these verses, just kind of observing. It's kind of the observation. And interpretation thing. We're going to work our way through the verses just real slow and make observations and interpretations. We're going to do that carefully, and that's the part you want to listen to real carefully, and you want to listen to the whole thing carefully. And then the, the second part, then, is that we're going to make application to us, our own time, and our own church. Now, when we make application, it's kind of important for me to tell you that when I apply something as a pastor and I say, okay, this is an application for our church, um, then, you know, what you can do with that is you can say, okay, thank you, Pastor, appreciate your, you know, what you believe God, how God wanted you to apply that passage uh, to our church and to my life at our time. But the neatest thing is what you, what you do is you kind of say to the Lord, you you, uh, you say, Lord, what do you want me to get from this? You know, what what do you want me to get from this? And then the Holy Spirit might apply it to you, like in a completely different way than what I suggested, but it will be very special to you. And so my prayer today is that you will that this passage will be applied to you. Somebody asked me, "How do you decide, you know, what you preach? How do you decide what you preach?" And um, when well, we made a decision a couple years ago, it'd be Matthew for a long time. One of the reasons is I figured I want to be here a long time. It's one of the longest books in the Bible. You, you might not throw me out until I'm done, so I figured it's, it's like job security. The truth of the matter is that I just wanted to take passages that talk about Jesus and talk about Jesus a lot. And I also want to show my humility, my, my desire to submit to God and just say, okay, it's your word that we're going to look at. We're just going to look at your word one chunk at a time and say to us what you want to say to us, Lord. And so it's with that heart and that desire, I'd like to ask for you to give me your attention today. Remember where you sit up in a balcony or, Young person, old, I want to ask you to give me your attention for the next 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60. They're about usually 30 to 45 minutes, you know how it is. I just want to ask you to give me your attention, not because it's me, but because I'm your pastor and I'm talking from the Bible. It's like we're looking at the Bible. So let's pray together, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you. Lord, for the eagerness of the people, even today, to be here with their Bibles and to sing and and now to just stop and look at your word. I'm asking, Lord, that you give me the heart of the people that I would direct their hearts to you and to the truth that's in your word right here. And that when we walk away, we would just be eager to obey you. And, and Lord, we wouldn't be a demanding generation that's cynical and has got to be shown a bunch of stuff, but we'd just be eager to believe the kind of people that are eager to believe and eager to follow you and eager to obey. Make us eager, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at verse 38. Let's read it together. Here's what it says. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the son of man, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is now adding claims to the claims that He already made. And you got to see this kind of the way they saw it. There's, think of two audiences here. Think of the audience in the narrative. It's the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, and all the people that are listening in on that. Think of the audience that Matthew is writing to. Okay, so Matthew's writing a book for an audience of people that are considering whether Jesus is who he said he is. And then even today, we're we're kind of in that audience. But also think of this in the narrative, in the story itself that we're reading. It was, Jesus was talking directly to this group of Pharisees and perhaps to the people that were kind of listening in. This is no little light happy coffee shop exchange that's going on. It's like the entire nation is going to hang in the balance because the pharisees were leader guys they were civic and religious leaders and however they decided on jesus lots of people would decide on jesus and so if they decided for jesus there would be peace and there would be hope and hopefulness and jesus would reign and the kingdom is here but if they would reject jesus it's going to be horrible chaos horrible bloodshed demonic things whole generations are going to be lost this is what's going on right now big deal it's not unlike what's going on in your life right now. We're always at that decision, are we going to believe or are we going to be a hard sell? Are we going to be eager to believe or are we going to be a hard sell? You know, that's, that's really always happening. Now, back in chapter 12 and verse 6, Jesus had claimed in this conversation with the Pharisees to be greater than the temple. Nem was fighting words. I mean, Jesus is telling Jewish people this great Herod's temple, which they were so proud of. Jesus says, now you understand, I'm greater than the temple. Which if any man had made that comment, he was less than God. That was like, seriously, he was getting up in their face with that. And then if you look in verse 8, you see, it says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's calling himself Son of Man which is very loaded language out of the Old Testament, Daniel, where he's talking about being the Messiah himself. He's making this amazing claim, and he said the Son of Man is not only, in, in verse 6, you have one with you who's greater than the temple, and the Son of Man is greater than the Sabbath. So in those two comments, Jesus is extremely has extreme chutzpah, and he has every right to be because he's God, but he's saying to them, you know you love your temple, I'm greater than your temple. And you know how you are about the Sabbath, you're all into the Sabbath, and they were just kind of overdoing the Sabbath. And he goes, I'm greater than the Sabbath. This was, I mean, it wasn't just like Jesus was coming along saying, I'm, you know, one in a long line of good teachers. He does not make that claim. He never did, and he doesn't now. And a lot of people, they want to make Jesus that, right? They want to make Jesus just, oh, he's a good old boy, you know? Jesus is just like a fine, kind of a hippie or something. You know, everybody loves him, and he's cool and whatnot, but as long as it doesn't, like, bite into my life, and as long as he doesn't make exclusive claims, and as long as I can believe a bunch of other stuff and fornicate and smoke pot, whatever else I want to do, you know, then I'm, I like Jesus. Or I can be religious and and like Jesus. You know what I'm saying. I'm not going to name all the sins. I'm going to let you, you know, just like let your mind wander for a minute there. And we want to be able to keep our sin and our willfulness or even our religion and say we believe in Jesus. Well, that Jesus isn't this Jesus because this Jesus of the Bible is the one who says, I'm greater than the Sabbath and I'm greater than the temple and I'm the son of man. And every time we look in Matthew, we got to see this is over and over. These are the changes that Matthew is ringing. He's ringing these beautiful melodic changes. And so he says, I'm greater than the temple, verse six, and he says, "I'm the Lord of the Sabbath," verse eight, and he says, "You have said that you acted by the power of the Spirit to bring." He says, "I have acted by the power of the Spirit to bring the kingdom upon you." That's what he says in verse twenty-eight. So this is big stuff that he's saying. The Pharisees have got to be a gap at this point. That means like their mouths are hanging open, right? They're like, "He's saying." I'm greater than the temple, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm bringing the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not claims that some teacher would make that's on a level with other teachers. These are God in human flesh, son of man claims. Let's not miss that. And that's what they would have seen then, the initial audience and Matthew's audience, and that's what we need to see too. So he responds to this previous condemnation. They are responding to what he said to them when they come and they say we want to see a sign So here's why you want how you want to read this you want to read this as these people that go Jesus, we're thinking about following you. Could you show us a sign? and We'll be convinced and we'll follow you You don't want to read it that way because that's not what it's going on What's going on is there he's saying you guys have crossed the line with me and you're going to face judgment and they're going Show us a sign He's like, are are you serious right now? Are you going to play games with me? Do you want me to do cute dog and pony show tricks for you? Am I here to entertain you? I'm the king. I'm bringing the kingdom. You repent yourself into it now. And don't get. see what's happening is, when the Pharisees came, it's one thing for the Pharisees to reject Jesus and to say, I'm not sure I believe he's who he said he is. It's one thing for them to listen and to hear and then like to walk away, right? It's another thing for them to listen and hear and then get together in a little cluster and choose like they're going to kill him and then come back and challenge him publicly with other people around as if now they're going to influence other people to reject him. See what I'm saying? That's what's going on here. It's bad enough that they rejected Jesus. If they rejected him and walked away and didn't influence anybody, that'd be one thing. But they are spiritual leaders and they have great light and they've seen all that Jesus has done. And now they're trying to call him out publicly and trying to get other people to follow them and not follow Jesus. So they are in serious trouble with Jesus. And he says a couple things to them that are really interesting things. And we'll read them again. But he basically says, you know what's going to happen There's going to be a judgment someday, and you're going to be there. And guess who else is going to be there? Remember the guys in Nineveh that repented? This is an Old Testament story about Jonah. And remember, Jonah reluctantly goes to Nineveh, and they repent. And Nineveh is not Jewish people with a temple, right? Nineveh, these are pagans. These are Gentiles. So Jesus is calling him up and he goes, there's going to be a judgment someday. And guess who's going to be there? I'm going to raise up the men of Nineveh. And their presence there is going to condemn you Jewish leaders. The men of Nineveh knew enough to repent when Jonah came. And we all know Jonah wasn't much of a prophet, right? He's kind of a reluctant prophet, but they repented. And a little bit later on, he's going to say the Queen of the South, which is a reference to the Old Testament story about the Queen of Sheba, who went a long way to get wisdom from Solomon. She went, she showed her eagerness to believe, if you will, by going a long way to get wisdom from Solomon. And he says, and she's gonna rise up, she's gonna be resurrected, and she's gonna be present, not being judged at the great white throne as a believer, but present as a witness at the great white throne, and this Gentile woman is gonna, her presence is gonna condemn you guys. This was really in your face talk. But Jesus was being very, very direct with them, and He was being very courageous. If you read the Bible the way it ought to be read, you cannot help but admire the broad-chested courage of Jesus Christ. He was a man, and He was God. And He was a man. If any man was ever a man on a mission, He was a man on a mission. And He says to them this, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. You know, when you study the Bible, one of the things you want to do is you want to kind of figure out what's the central truth of a passage. And one of the ways to figure out what the central truth of the passage is, one of the ways is to say what is repeated here, because there may be an emphasis in something that's repeated. You remember last week when I was talking about the four stories that we're kind of going through here at the end of chapter 12, and how at first when you look at them, they look like they're unrelated. You've got Jesus telling, you've got this sign story, but just before the sign story, you've got the bad heart story, and then the sign story, and then the seven demons story, and then the mother and brother story right you got these four stories and they seem like they're unrelated but if you study them carefully you see that they they're like they're, they're like interlocking and the reason the way we know they're interlocking is because there are things that are repeated in the first two and things that are kind of repeated in the second two and then the ones in the middle are kind of hooked together so they're all kind of hooked together now one of the things that hooks them together is this word this phrase there this generation this generation, Jesus has said it before, he's going to say it again, and he's going, to come, he's going to come back up in Matthew in a really, really chilling way later on in the Olivet Discourse, which is super interesting. This generation, it's like you might want to pay attention when Jesus says this generation, and when Matthew repeats that Jesus said this generation, you might want to kind of put your Mickey Mouse ears on there and really pay attention because there's something to this. Jesus is saying here, the, the generation that's that's not going to believe unless they see a bunch of signs showing that they are a wicked and spiritually adulterous generation. He's to you guys are spiritually adulterous. The biggest way the Bible has of expressing not being faithful to God is to use spiritual adultery as a picture. In the Bible, that's the biggest, that's the clearest way to express. Unfaithfulness is to use this picture of marriage commitment and, and to say you are spiritual adulterers. James does it in James chapter 4 in a really powerful way, in the epistles of John. It's there. It's all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. It's, it talks about idolatry being adultery. And this is. And so the Pharisees are. Most of them have the Torah memorized, right? They memorize a big chunk of the Old Testament. So when Jesus says you're a wicked and adulterous generation, he's not. Like measuring his terms, then. He's just calling them out and saying, You are not following God. You are in bed with the devil. You are adulterers spiritually because you're asking me for the sign. So, what they did was not good. If you wondered, it was really not good. Not at all. He says, An adulterous generation, wicked, seeks after a sign. Notice in verse 41 the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation. You know, the men of Nineveh lived way a long time earlier, but they're going to be together at one time in this. They're going to be resurrected for the judgment. Then it says, with this generation. And then it says in verse 42, when he's talking about the queen of the, of the south, uh, the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation later on this is what ties this story in specifically with the next story and the next story is really chilling don't miss next week it'd be like a batman cliffhanger next week don't miss because next week it says like one of these kind of interesting demonic stories where it's like one demon goes out seven demons come in what's he talking about well we know this he's talking about this wicked generation because he says so in verse 45 see that Last phrase, verse 45. He says, whatever this is he's talking about is he's describing this wicked generation. I want to kind of give it away so that you all will eagerly come back next week. Put your tie on, come back, you know. And, or tie, I don't care if you wear a tie or not. But anyway, scurry back, you know. But I want you to come back. But, so I don't want to give it away, but I would say this. I would say this. Jesus is telling these people, you are in serious spiritual danger You're about, your nation and the people that you love and your wives and your children are about to plunge into great, unbelievable chaos. you know how often Jesus, in these stories of Jesus, he'll be going along and he'll see a big group and then he'll burst into tears. And he'll just like, because his heart melts with compassion, like his bowels, the Bible says, because Jesus actually can see what's going to happen to them physically And he can see what's going to happen then beyond that. He's going to see the Roman. He's going to see the fall of Jerusalem 8070. He's going to say that. He's going to see that's going to happen. And it was horrible. Read Josephus. It's not bedtime reading. If you like movies, just like watch a movie about it, not before you go to bed at night. We're talking about a horrifying thing that happens to the Jewish people. And Jesus is saying, it's going to happen because I came to bring you the kingdom. And you rejected it because you followed these lame religious leaders. And they're a wick, you're a wicked generation. And I gave you a sign. Now, what sign is he going to give them? He says this, and he hints toward it. He says, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, if you read a book of Jonah, would you ever know that Jonah was a type of Christ? Some of you would like, say, yes, I would. Well, well, then you're pretty sharp, because I wouldn't have seen it. We only know that because Jesus said it was. What's the di- what's, how is Jesus like Jonah? Names start with J. <laughs> I guess. You know, they, what else? Um, let's see. Jonah, Jesus was eager to go on his mission. Jonah was reluctant to go on his mission. Jonah pouted when his gourd died. Jesus, We never see Jesus doing that, right? What do they have in common? Well, they had a, they were, they had a message... But, they would, but here's what Jesus says, and this is how you know, by the way, a type in the Bible, is the New Testament says it's a type. Otherwise, you're not really sure, so be careful you don't say there's a type, because you don't know. But if the Bible says it, then you know it's a type, kind of like a sign, you know. should be careful with your signs. Make sure that your signs are really covered in the Bible, and then you might want to cut the cards again before you play. So here you have, here you have this. Uh, Jesus says this. Look in verse 40. As Jonah... "...was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish." Let me say something here that's interesting. You notice it doesn't say whale in your Bible? Because the word isn't the whale word. And in the Hebrew, it's interesting, the Hebrew word isn't a whale word either. You know, it's translated whale in our Bibles. It may have been a whale, or it may have been a shark, or it may have been something else. Just interesting. And, And you can go throughout history, and you can read lots of accounts of men being swallowed by great sea creatures... This is so fantastic. It's very unusual. Probably none of you have ever had it happen to you, landlubbers that you are. But it's happened to people. Jesus is saying here, by the way, somebody says, I'm not sure about that story. I'm not sure I believe it. I'm not sure there was a great fish. I'm not sure there was a Jonah. I'm not sure I believe it. I was like, well, do you believe Jesus? Because Jesus believed it. This is that upside-down funnel thing. Take all the questions that you have, put them in the funnel. At the mouth of the funnel is, do you believe that Jesus is who He said He is? Because if Jesus gave testimony that the Old Testament is true, you can just write it off the entire thing as true because Jesus is who He said He is. Our faith is not based on, do we think that the Old Testament stories are credible? Or have we seen things like that happen before? Or are virgin births common or anything like that? Our, our faith is based on who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus here is saying, there was a man named Jonah who was a real live person. And the story of Jonah, he confirms the story of Jonah really happened. But then he says, the sign is this, verse 40, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, isn't that kind of interesting what Jesus is doing here? He's kind of hinting, right? Did he say more that isn't written down right here? Would you have had a question if you heard Jesus say this? The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hey, who's getting lunch anyway? Like, what? Wait wait, wait, wait a minute. What did you just say? Who's the Son of Man? And what does this mean, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? And what's that have to do with Jonah? And why did you say that? And when I was asking for a sign, you said the sign's going to be, the Son of Man's going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, like Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. I don't get it. Well, here here the the Pharisees are proud, and and they're arrogant, and they're cynical, and they're stubborn, and they don't want to believe. And Jesus is going to, Jesus has already made claims they don't want to receive, so they're trying to call him out of those claims. Now Jesus is going to make more claims, and he's going to hint at more things. He's actually pointing to a resurrection. He's telling them there's going to be a resurrection, and I'm going to go. I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised again. This is really interesting. So, kind of the plot is very much it's thick, thickening here. He's making countercharges, further assertions, but they don't want to believe. Their request is not sincere. You ever meet anybody like that? I had a guy I was dealing with one time, and I can tell a story, told him I could. And this poor guy had married a woman, and she left him. And so he's kind of me, and he's just hearted because the woman left him, and, and he loved her, and he tried to do nice things for her. And it was a very, very sad story. So we just sit and try to untangle the knots. Why did she leave? A lot of times women leave men because men do mean things, you know. So a lot of times that's where we go first, if you've done mean things, and let's be honest. And usually we men don't really tell the truth right away. We have to have some encouragement and persuasion. And a lot of times then after we get the truth out, then there's reasons that women leave, you know. In this case, there may have been, but as I talked to the both of them and interviewed them, you know, she didn't really have a legitimate reason to leave the guy. And uh, he said to me, he said, Pastor, I just have this problem, he goes, I don't know what to do about it. She's given me conditions for her return. She said she will come back, but I need to prove that I love her. And I said, well, that's the way girls are, you know. You always got to prove you love them. So I would say that sounds reasonable to me. So what is it that she wants you to do? He said, she said she will believe I love her if I buy her a new Jaguar. Why do you laugh? And uh, he he said, what should I do? I said, (laughs) call her bluff. Call her bluff. Why did I say that? Because I think a man should show his wife he loves her. And I think he should do everything he can do to show his wife he loves her. But that wasn't a sincere request. So because it wasn't a sincere request, the right answer was, call her bluff. That's what Jesus was doing to the Pharisees. It's not a sincere request. Tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to die, rise again. That's what's going to happen. That's a sign for you. And and, and I and I don't and I believe with all of my heart that that Jesus in mercy, was speaking words of condemnation to those men who he knew were determined not to believe him anyway. But he was lay, he was giving out words of mercy to anybody who might be listening, kind of give them a hint. That is, hey, I'm going to die and rise again. Anybody still want in? I believe that. Jesus was doing it. And I know the secondary audience, that's true. The people that Matthew is writing to, he's writing to them for the purpose that they would believe in Jesus. And we look at this book today because all of you right now are standing at the crossroads every day, at the Y in the road every day, and you have decisions for Jesus to make every day, every day. Do you believe that Jesus is who He said He is? And will you live for Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? Or will you demand more information? Or will you ask for more signs? Or will you make Jesus jump through hoops for you and play little dog tricks for you? Jesus is not here to entertain us. He's here to lead us in victory. He's our king. He's the master. He brings the kingdom. And we are his subjects and we submit to him. Eagerly submit. We want to believe. People with good hearts want to believe. They want to believe. And that's why he says in here, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment and the queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, will rise up with this generation in the judgment. He says, and he says two phrases that to me just ring out. In verse 41 and 42, talking about Jonah and the Queen of the South, about Jonah, he says, One greater than Jonah is here. And then a little bit later, he says, One, indeed, one greater than Solomon is here. This was, again, can you get this? He's talking about, he's comparing these real Jewish people to Gentiles, and he's saying, I'm greater than Jonah, and then he really gets... Directly, he says and I'm greater than Solomon Do you see how foolish it is people even today for people to say I want to add Jesus to my You know cluster of beliefs can't do that You can't do that and say you believe the Bible You can't just take Jesus and make him like a clay, you know Like a Plato model into whatever you want him to look like You got to take him the way he is in the Bible and submit to him And and here's how we can tell if you have a good heart Are you eager to believe? Or are you eager not to believe? See, that's it. That's what Jesus is saying, central truth, right? is the way I put it. Central truth. Good hearts are eager to believe and follow Christ. So do you have a good heart? Is your heart good? I mean, in this sense, is your heart just like, God, I want to believe. Can can I give you an example? You ever think about what it would have been like if the Pharisees, if this story had been written differently and Jesus calls the Pharisees out and He goes, you are a nest of snakes is what you are and your hearts are bad and your trees are going to be cut down because they don't bear good fruit. What would happen if some of the Pharisees just like flopped down on their face and they said, oh Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You're right. What am I thinking? I saw you do these miracles. You're so wonderful. Look at the way you treat the lame and the blind and you forgive sin and you, you help prostitutes get out of that terrible life and you give people hope. I, I repent. I want to follow you. Wouldn't this story have just taken a completely different turn? Wouldn't it have been a beautiful story? But you still find people face-to-face with who Jesus is, but they're willful and they will not obey. They will not submit. They will not do what He says. And you might be that way yourself in some way right now today. I mean, when was the last time you repented? When was the last time you really, really repented? When, you know, God showed you something in your life and then you were just broken and sorry, and grieved, and you said, "Oh God, please make my life the way you want it to be." I repent. I'm so eager to follow you. You don't have to do anything more. You've already done all you need to do. I'm here to follow you. This wouldn't this be beautiful if just a church full of people? Whatever the Spirit whispered to them, they just immediately said, "Okay, I'm in. I repent." I re-. and what if? What if the people of God were willing to go a long way to seek truth, like? The Queen of the South, I don't care. Think about: Will there be generations that rise up in judgment against our generation and say, <laughs> "Sorry to do this, but you seriously complain because your pastor preached fifty minutes?" I didn't think you were going to like respond to that. It's okay, I know you love me. You know, you you whined because it was you know difficult to do to serve the Lord. You, there are generations that are going to rise up and go. Do you have any idea how far I went to church? Do you have any idea how hard it was for me to do what I did? Do you have any idea what it cost me to go seek God? And your life is so convenient and so easy. There will be generations that will be present that could rise up in judgment against our selfless, selfish generation and say, you have no idea what it means to sacrifice. You have no idea what it means to serve. Him. We have this chronological snobbery like we think we're smarter. We think we're better. This is an area where we ought to look at the queen of the south and the distance that she went to seek the wisdom of God and say, Oh God, don't let anybody rise up. Any generation or any other group of people in the world rise up in judgment again. Think about Yusef Narakani. And he's got, a little, he's got a wife and little children. And then over and over again, you know, it's like, are we going to kill him or not kill him? This wonderful, beautiful, peaceful Islamic religion. Thinking about killing this Christian pastor. And I'm being sarcastic in case you couldn't catch that. This demonic religion, this demonic religion that's eager to disobey God, reject Jesus, and kill Christians all over the world. That's the history of it. They killed Christians all over the world. You're quiet. Like You might need to do some reading on this. Do we dislike Middle Eastern people? No, we love Middle Eastern people very, very much. Like the like the men from Nineveh were Middle Eastern people. And Jesus commending them. He's told, me, look at these people. I know people from Iraq, and I know people from Iran. I know people from the Middle East who submitted to Jesus and who love Him. But there is this Islamic religion that's as damning and demonic as any other false religion that rejects Jesus Christ. It's very dangerous. And they want to kill this young pastor. And so he suffers in prison and the sword hangs over his head and he doesn't know. He He can't kiss his kids goodnight at night. He can't pray with them when they go to bed at night. He doesn't know if he will get to live out his days with his wife. This young pastor doesn't know if he'll ever be able to visit among his congregation. And you and I, we have the padded pews and we have all of the ease. And that generation will rise up against our generation in judgment someday. So that we need to think about. There is a judgment that's coming. Now I want to make some applications before we go home. I want you to think just a little bit now before we go to these applications, or five of them. I want you to think of a guy named Thomas, who kind of asked Jesus for a sign. And and notice how Jesus responded to him, right? Remember the story. Thomas is like, okay, I've been pulled into these things before. I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive. Do you think Thomas wanted to believe, or do you think Thomas didn't want to believe? What do you think? Yeah, he wanted to believe, but he just kind of couldn't let himself, but Jesus knew his heart. And so he says, Until I, and he says to his friends, he's kind of you know, talking big, if I, I'd have to put my hand in it. I saw where the sword went in and made that terrible gash in the side of Jesus. I'd have to, I'd have to feel that place in his side if I was going to believe. Jesus, when he sees me, says, Put your hand over here. <laughs> That's just a great story, isn't it? Then what does Thomas do? Yeah, he gets on his face. He doesn't say he reaches in. He just falls down, and he goes, my Lord, oh my God. See, that's what we're looking for here. You've got the people that are going, show me a sign. And Jesus is like, hey, I can show you signs all day long, and you have made up your mind you're not going to believe. Then you've got people over here that say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. He says, he'll help those people all day long. And today, if your faith is kind of thin and small, and you want to believe, take us... Step, Go as far as you can. And Jesus will help you over the threshold of faith and onto a vital relationship with himself. He won't condemn you. That's not an evil heart. It's not an adulterous heart. But these others that are like, you're going to have to impress me, Jesus. You have to do some more stuff. He's not going to play that game. You don't set the agenda with the king. The king sets the agenda with you. That's the way it works. Let me give you these applications. And we want to Go. Don't be poisoned by the cynical spirit of our age. That's the way it is all around us. That's the humor, that's the drama, that's the music, those are the movies. Yes, they are. I know Baptist pastors always get, you know, kind of, they kind of get the bad press for talking about media and, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, let's just be honest. There's a message in everything. And wise people have to recognize when they read a book, listen to a song, watch a movie, there's a message, and we live in a cynical age, an age that has rejected Jesus. If they talk about Jesus, they talk about a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible usually, right? We've got to realize we live in a cynical age that's eager to disbelieve, and we cannot be. In other words, believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the main deal here, obviously. Central truth. Another app application take every opportunity to repent and by the way to the signs let me say something just quickly In first peter chapter i'm sorry in second peter chapter 1 verse 19 peter is going to talk about the transfiguration which was a sign right jesus glows up in and out of transfiguration peter would have remembered this for the rest of his life and throughout eternity it was a big sign right peter saw jesus transfigured it's like this is jesus he's god there you go peter you got to see this it's a big sign right You would love to have been there, wouldn't you? The Mount of Transfiguration. Peter's going to say something later, and what he's going to say is this. Peter's going to say, you think it's a big deal that I got to see the Transfiguration? Let me tell you something that's even a bigger deal than that. You know what he's going to say? The Bible is a bigger deal than that. In other words, if you have the Bible and you can read the Bible, you have a more sure word of prophecy, a more sure word from God, than if you saw a miracle or if you saw a sign. And folks, I hope you have a Bible open in your lap right now. If you want God to speak, all you got to do is look down at that book and He'll speak to you. Don't be out looking for some mystical sign all the time. If God blesses you with a warm feeling or, or some warning or direction and it coincides with the Word of God, I may not argue with you about that, but this is the main thing we must see. Believing people are eager to believe that Jesus died and rose again three days and three nights on the heart of the earth. Only three days and three nights, right? And he rose again. Believing people are eager to believe that. And believing people are saying, talk to me, God. I want to hear. So that's why they open their Bibles every morning. That's why they read their Bibles and say, Jesus, I know you got something to say to me. And it's right here in your Word. Now listen as I read you what I just told you from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. We for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Whoo, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? And we so we have a prophetic word confirmed, or a more sure word of prophecy which you do well to heed as the light that shines in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And he goes on talking about the Bible. Get this now. We have the Bible. That's why all of our Sunday school classes teach the Bible. That's why at Awana, we memorize the Bible. That's why Sunday morning and Sunday night, we teach the Bible. We're just going to keep doing that. Why? It's the more sure prophetic word. It's better than a sign or a miracle. It's It's the word of the living God. If you want God to speak to you, get up in the morning, open up your Bible, read it. He's talking. He's talking in other ways, too, that are beautiful. But especially, He speaks in His word with great clarity. And if you want to obey Him, you read His word. So, Application number one, don't be poisoned by the spirit of our age to be cynical or a hard sell or, or not eager to believe. Application number two, take every opportunity to repent. What I'm saying here is, remember the guys in Nineveh, what did they do? They repented. We should look for places that we can repent. Okay, show me God what you want me to do and I repent. Repent means I completely change my mind, will, emotions, the direction of my life. And I go over on God's side to do what he wants me to do in whatever area God tells you to repent. You're eager to repent. And if there, another application would be this one. Go out of your way to seek the truth. Where do we get that? Queen of the South. She made a big, long trip. Here, the Pharisees are standing right there, and Jesus is doing miracles right in front of them. And some of you and, and I, it's going to be that way with us. Jesus is say, like, you saw what I did. You know what I gave you. You heard what I said. You owned a stack of Bibles. You could have watched the Jesus movie. There was a church on every corner. Are you kidding me? You didn't get the message? There are people you know that would go out of their way to get the truth. You go out of your way to seek the truth. Have that hunger. Why? Cuz Jesus commends people like that and people like that will rise up in judgment against those who rejected Jesus Christ. Here's another application. Keep the day of judgment in mind. What I mean by that is if you're not saved, you will face God's condemnation one day. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Read about it in the end of your Bible. It's going to happen. You're going to die someday. Then you're going, be, you're going to be awaiting to go to hell, and then you'll await a special judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. Don't have time to talk a lot about it. Read the end of your Bible. You'll see it there. It's not going to be fun. Everybody who's judged at the Great White Throne Judgment gets cast in the lake of fire. The others there, there are witnesses like believing people watching. This is what Jesus is referring to, a literal time of judgment. This is something we should keep in mind. It kind of simplifies your life going to be a judgment. My dad taught me this as a little boy. Everybody you talk to, Kenny, is either on their way to heaven to be with God or on their way to hell away from God forever. So talk to them about believing in Jesus. I've never kind of gotten away from the simplicity of looking at life that way. Just look at life that way. There's going to be a judgment. Keep it in mind. For believers, there's a judgment, the Bema judgment. It's not a condemnation judgment. There will be a time of rewards that we should really think about. It's a specific and literal time this isn't the judgment Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 12, but it's something for you to keep in mind. And then I would just say this, and you know this. I mean, how could we not apply this in this way? If Jesus is who He said He is, and we've already received Him, and I assume most of you have, shouldn't we just make Him known? We were, pastors were talking about this, and we had this like, total agreement on this big thing we were talking about this week, and that is our church exists to glorify God by making committed disciples to Jesus Christ. That's it. Our church exists to glorify God by making committed disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm talking so fast today, so that you will follow Jesus, so you'll be disciple and you will go and make disciples, that so you will make him known. i got to quit, but let me just say this one. April 20th has always been a very, very special day to me. I love April 20th. I always have, since about 1987. Because April 20th in 1987 was the day that I put all of our stuff. We put our stuff in a truck, a rider truck. The the 19th of April in 87 was Easter, and we put all of our stuff in a rider truck, and then we did Easter in a church where I was a youth and music guy because I had been called to Ohio to pastor a church. It was my first full-time solo pastor. I pastored... Solo pastor before, but it wasn't full-time. This was my first full-time solo pastor. I'm in the pulpit every week. You can't appreciate this, but that was a big deal to me. And we put our stuff in the car, in a truck, and we drove past the church. And my oldest son Kyle was with me in the cab of the truck. And I said, Kyle, you probably understand this right now, but we're going to sing the doxology right now. And we literally were like, praise God from whom all... Pl-. By the time we got to a place in Ohio where I was going to pastor, it was the spring of the year, and the dogwoods were in blossom along the streets in Mount Vernon, and I was a pastor. I just was so happy to be a pastor. April 20th, 1987. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that day. But in 1999, something happened on April 20th that eclipsed that altogether. It's like made it kind of a footnote in my life, a secondary thing. Do you guys know what happened on April 20th, 1999? The, the, the night before Lois was not feeling well, she called her mother. She said, Mama, I love you. And you've been a good mom. And we're like, What are you doing that for? You know, it was like weird kids were all listening to this and they kind of gather around and lois is going to go to the hospital because she's going to have a baby and i remember that night it got all quiet in the house and all the kids kind of lined up to say goodbye to mom and you know she she had this kind of ominous (laughs) thing going on so we're like what's going on we weren't young like we used to be we were a little bit older it made us wiser and more scared about having babies so now we go to the hospital, and we're not sure everything's going to be okay, you know. We've had some troubles before, and Lois labors through the night. And early in the morning, on the 20th of April, our hope America was born. It was like, not like the older kids. I was young and foolish. I didn't know what I was doing. Now I was older and more mature, and I understood, and I just looked at her and held her, and I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to do anything but be with her. She was healthy, and Lois was healthy, and all was good. It was a beautiful a number of hours. The kids, a bunch of them were in there for the birth. A lady from our church, a doctor friend of ours, people from the community there. The whole community in this little town where we, where, where Hope was born, they celebrated little Hope America. It was like, a, you know, it was one of those times, I know if you have a baby, you know what I'm talking about. It was just such a sweet fellowship, such a happy time for a few hours. And then we got word that, I think it was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, out in Colorado at a... At a At a school named after a flower, on that very day, there was this horrible, horrifying massacre of innocent children. And the blood would stain the library floor, and America would never forget Columbine. On the very day that God gave us a little girl that we named Hope America... I like watching the debates, following the candidates, talking about the issues, kibitzing about what's good for America and what's bad for America. But the hope of America is in no political candidate. The hope of America is in no economic policy. The hope of a nation, of any nation, is not in that nation's military might. The only hope of any nation ever is Jesus Christ. The only hope of our nation and the only hope of this church and the only hope of your family and your life is Jesus Christ. He is this world's only hope and He is the only one who will ever be the hope of this world.